This is Tommy. This is Zach. This is Conrad. And you are now listening to Not Too Sweet, a podcast about bars by bartenders. Today's episode, we're joined by Jelani Johnson, head bartender of a restaurant that we're all very excited for the opening of, uh, Gage and Tolner. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jelani. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, we have to start with the usual question, uh, which is, uh, what are you drinking? Uh, right now, I'm drinking PG Tips tea, and it is just the greatest black tea on the planet. Uh, in quarantine, <laughs> I've been drinking a lot of scotch because we uh me and my girlfriend live together and just have so many bottles of booze that usually we would never <laughs> touch like you know the gift bottles like oh this is a fancy bottle or this is like the crown jewel uh and we've just uh, been like you know dipping into all the secret stashes <laughs> so just nothing but spirits and fine scotches for me sounds nice. great <laughs> that's, that's pretty good that's how to do it right yeah, Zach's just been drinking the same four roses over and over again. So that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. way better. Yeah, in the beginning we were like, oh man, we can't touch these bottles. But then like a weekend, we were just like, all right, crack open all the fancy stuff. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's now or never. Yeah. <laughs> Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. Well said, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's from the Bible. <laughs> I never read it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm drinking an iced coffee with uh, no four roses in it. Nice. What, what have you been drinking in quarantine? Literally, so I'm house sitting still. <laughs> oh, still. Okay. I was wondering because you said you ran into Ben. I'm like, you ran into Ben and yeah. <laughs> Flatbush. Okay. No, I'm, I'm still house sitting. So each week I buy like one bottle for me and Alyssa, and we usually just get bourbon. Although we got some. Uh, monkey 47 last week Ooh. and i made some pickled ramps so we we're doing pickled ramp martinis pretty good nice nice conrad uh i am drinking a cup of tea too uh i am out of my pay, uh, pg tips i'm down to my twinings so like it's a dark day for me uh, <laughs> it's but uh yeah my local store was out of it and it's all they had which terrible that is terrible. Yeah. I'm having some uh, some cold brew that I made at home and uh, also a pina colada because I just got some Coca Lopez and I was like, well, man, what a flex. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I should have something better. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's hilarious. Oh, I didn't mention I also just have a Sazerac here too. Just. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So I think the first thing we wanted to ask, Jelani, is uh, how did you get into the industry um, and get to like where you are today? What was your bartender origin story? Oh, man. Uh, well, it's funny hearing the question that way because it's been, I've been on a just straight up bell curve. I started off <laughs> as a pizza delivery boy at a Fornino uh, restaurant in Park Slope. Oh, yeah. That's uh, good pizza. It's great pizza. So the one in Park Slope, though, was supposed to be this guy's like crown jewel. It was three storefronts, supposed to be more of like a fine dining approach and like 
it was just so over the top. He had uh, a sous chef, a pasta chef, a pastry chef. Uh, he, he himself was raking in cash. It was just like this over the top restaurant that inevitably had to be scaled way down and he abandoned essentially. Um, but then once he abandoned it, we turned it into this really awesome just neighborhood pizza joint. And uh, I was there from like almost the day it opened to the day it closed. Uh, wow. But I started as a pizza delivery boy there. And then I uh, moved onto the floor, started busing tables, running food. Uh, then, I mean, I was, I was a hard worker, so they let me serve. And then from there, I was just like, all right, I, the only job I haven't done is bartending. And I was like, who wants to teach me how to bartend and let's do this. So the classic Brooklyn Italian guys showed me like how to bartend. <laughs> like, all right, you got to shake like this and make sure you smile at the ladies. And here's how you make a vodka soda. And, you know, just your, your basic club crap. But there was one bartender there that introduced me to classic cocktails and took me out to a couple bars and just showed me the world of bartending as a profession and as a career. Uh, funny enough, though, I am back now doing bike delivery. Uh, <laughs> so I'm back. At, I went on, <laughs> climbed the ladder of bartending, and now I'm back down to where I started. And we'll see what the next uh, the next wave has for me in my employment. So you flattened the curve. I so flattened the curve. I flattened my personal <laughs> curve back down to zero. But it's it, it's a, it's like the best job, though. I really love working on my bike. Yeah. What, what, uh, around what year was that, that you started to uh, like get into like the bartending? Uh, aspect that was, it? um, 2012. Yeah. Oh, 20, 2011. Uh, yeah. 2011, 2012, 2011. I was just starting to bartend and then it was soon after that I got into cocktails. So yeah. Like that and around that time. Did you hop over to Clover Club around 2012? I did. Yeah. Um, so Fernino closed, uh, laid us all off without telling us and just shut the gates one day. So I was like, all right, I got to oh, find great. a job. So <laughs> I went down to Smith street. Cause my buddy was like, there's a bunch of bars down there. And I I'm from park slope. And I always thought of Smith street was just like a crap neighborhood, nothing going on, but it was super <laughs> eye opening to go down there. And like I, there was Clover club and there was a bunch of restaurants and uh, I started at Kittery, uh, and yeah, yeah. I only wanted to bartend there because they had the outside uh, bar, but they would not let me bartend. They like, I, they made me jump through all these hoops and I was there for so long uh, and they just would not let me bartend. So I was like, well, <laughs> screw this. I'm going to go pick up another job. And I started working at Clover Club and I started running food there. And then it was there that I just uh, fell in love with cocktails and just started busting my ass and, being there as often as I could and learning as much as I could. And I was there for seven years. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I think I told you this recently, but uh, Tyler, Alex and I for the longest time just called you the cool one. Cause you just kind of <laughs> like showed up one day and you like, it, it almost seemed like you owned the place just the way you moved around and like the ebullient confidence you had. Well, it's funny. Cause I mean, then, it all came from my first job. Like the, I've always loved the kind of mobility within a restaurant. Like you, I feel like the best employees and the best people in any place are the people that will do any job. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a bartender that'll pick up a 
busing shift or something. So I would always try to, I was bartending at the time when I met you guys, but I was always trying to pick up the food running and bar backing shifts because then I had less responsibility and I could just go around and like talk to people and uh. hang out. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that it translated to coolness. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I'm kind of curious as to what those bars that, that, the uh, the bartender who was showing you the ropes at the beginning. What bars did he take you to? Uh, he took me to um. Oh fuck! What's the name of that bar? Oh, uh, Blueprint. Blueprint in Park Slope. Oh, yeah. uh, and actually, that was the only one because it was right down the block from Fornino, and they were doing this like at, they had just opened. It was this uh, really classically driven, really beautifully done uh, cocktail menu, and I was just head over heels. I was inspired. And that was like the only one. And he was telling me about all these other places that I should go, but I never really got there. I went to, I, I tried going to places, but I was, I would always go too late. Uh, I went to like <laughs> PDT and they wouldn't let me in. I went to <laughs> Death and Co and they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> and I was just like a little, I was a little discouraged at first because I didn't understand the the world of it at all i was just like going out because i heard that these places were cool and i thought that all bars were just places that you walk in and you order a beer right so mm-hmm. you know i would go to you know you can't go to death and co at midnight <clears throat> and be like hey i'm ready for a drink now uh, <laughs> right. so it was really only blueprint and then the idea of all these other places that really sparked my love of it cool I actually, I never, I never made it to Blueprint. Conrad, you went there a few times, right? Um, I actually haven't. Um, that place is amazing. I, I live in South Slope. Like it's not that far. Uh, I live on 21st Street. It's not that far from where I am. Uh, and I used to work on Fifth Avenue up, up around there. Uh, and oh, still, where at? I used to work at Wolf and Deer a long time ago. Okay, yeah. Um, so I was, I was, I was in the neighborhood. I walked past it all the time. Just never went. Yeah, it's a really great place. It's just so kind of stripped down, classic cocktails, good meat and cheese, uh, good bites. And it's just such a sexy atmosphere with a little backyard. It's it's so great. Nice. And I, it's really awesome too, because they like they never they're never like on the radar of these big name bars, but they're always busy. They never really They are like, always busy. They're always busy, they're always full and their clientele loves them. And it's just because they do such a good job, and it's a really, it's awesome to see that. I uh, I always wonder how like meat and cheese became part of of cocktail culture because <laughs> trying to trying to taste the uh, the complexity of a cocktail with cheese mouth is like a <laughs> cheese mouth, <laughs> cheese mouth. Yeah, I know. I I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because it's like it's easy, right? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just delicious, though. Yeah. I mean. And it's the it kind of place delicious. where, like, you're having cocktails that it's kind of in the way of Gage and Tolner. It's like uh, the cocktails aren't getting in the way of the atmosphere, or the people that you're with. It's not like you're having this contemplative, like, super high concept cocktail. You're having like a daiquiri or a sazerac, and it's done so well that you're not even really thinking about, like, you're not thinking about the drink. It's just there. So it just kind of pairs and matches. And I think I, it's. I, I think for me is it's I guess it's because it's something that's shareable uh, and and that's very mm-hmm. much like cocktail bars have have become such a huge part of date culture mm-hmm. that I think that's part of the reason. 
But um, yeah, cheese mouth and especially deviled eggs. I don't get that. The deviled <laughs> eggs I do kind of agree with. I like deviled eggs Only- with like beer or wine, yeah. but with, with cocktails, like the deviled egg mouth kind of sticks with you for a while. Yeah, and it kind of winds. Yeah. For me, deviled eggs only work like a martini, gypsy, like that kind of thing. Because that can cut through the deviled egg mouth. Yeah, <laughs> the deviled egg and cheese mouth. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, I think also, I think a lot of people might know you for your uh, tiki drinks. Um, yeah. How did you get into, specifically into tiki? Um, that was through Brian Miller. Um, I heard, so when I started at Clover Club, um, I was food running on Mondays and brunches. So I was there Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, uh, I think. I was definitely there Monday, but uh, Brian, <laughs> uh, Brian LaLoya, corporal captain, uh, I would work with him on Sundays and we would always, I would always have a shift drink after I was done with my shift. And I was like early enough that he would still be willing to make me a cocktail. And <laughs> he made me a Cobra's Fang for like my first shift drink. And that just like ah. blew the lid off of what I thought a cocktail could be. And I was just so blown away. Like there were so many flavors and all these, and it was like this wealth of knowledge that he had this like pit that I had never even looked down, like falernum and orja and all these things that ingredients I had never even heard of. And they're just in perfect balance in this cup in front of me. And he was telling me about Tiki Mondays. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's back when it was happening every week. So every Monday I would uh, work my ass off, work as hard as I could so I can get out early. And I would try to get <laughs> out at like uh, by around 10. And I would always pack my grass skirt and a couple lays in my bag. <laughs> and uh, I would leave Clover Club as fast as I could, throw on a grass skirt and my lays and bike over the bridge to Mother's <laughs> Ruin to catch Tiki Monday. And I went every single week and just like got to know these guys and uh, sort of learning so much from Brian and Ryan. And uh, when they did the transition over to um, Apartment 13, they brought me on board. And it was just, uh, I just fell in love with it. It was so much fun. And I just really took a shining to it and read all the books I could and tried all the things I could. And uh, when I was first getting into cocktails, I would really, the thing that really drove me towards cocktails in the first place was the culinary aspect of it. I love making syrups and infusions uh, and bitters and liqueurs. So I was making pimento dram and housemaid falernum and like tiki bitters and stuff. And that was a really, it found a really nice home in the Tiki Monday menus uh, so I wasn't quite at the place where I was creating cocktails yet, but I was creating a lot of the ingredients that were going into them. And that's where my springboard into Tiki was at. Cool. Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting about Tiki is you have so much of the craft that's still there, but the sort of like buttoned up nature that was true of a lot of cocktail bars especially in like 2013 where you couldn't really ever let your guard down was was just totally removed because totally we're playing dress up and like lighting stuff on fire and having chants and stuff like that and yeah it was wild um, but the craft is still there like if you were into cocktails you're like wow this is a really well-balanced drink or this is a flavor pairing i never would have thought of 
that's definitely something that's I've always been drawn to to that aspect of the cocktail world. Yeah, it's almost like it it stands as its own pillar next to classic cocktails. There's classic cocktails and there's tiki cocktails, and like I can't think of another maybe like like '90s club cocktails or like another pillar <laughs> that like you know just like club drinks, your kamikazes and your Long Island iced teas because that's that's super popular. That's what most people know. Yeah, I'd say that there's like a three pillars. There's your classics, there's your tiki drinks, and then there's that stuff. And tiki is just in its own world. And you can be a, you can just do tiki and be a full, a well-rounded bartender. Just like in its own, yeah, I don't know. I I love tiki. I think it's the coolest American thing of all time. Yeah, there's like an incredible depth uh, and complexity. Like there's just so many tiki recipes uh to like work through and master there's so many variables in each cocktail right i feel like you know like you're saying the falernums the syrups this and that like the bitters yeah every single thing plays such a huge role and if you know what you're doing it you can make some of the best cocktails in the world yeah yeah um so tiki is kind of uh, a subject that has been surrounded by some controversy i would say maybe lately um, um yeah i don't know i've got uh, i don't know if i want to get in i've got pretty strong <laughs> feelings about all of that and a lot of it is pretty unpopular opinions so uh, okay we don't have to we don't have to keep talk about that uh yeah I, I i i get that there's a lot of controversy around it with uh the cultural appropriation and right. you know the obvious blatant like even just racist aspects of it but you know this is 2020 and that was 1935 right. and you know don the beachcomber did something wholly original in the way that a lot of businessmen did stuff back then he you know took aspects of a culture American whitewashed it and then hid where he got it from to make it his own and make money. And sure, that's like blatantly wrong. But Tiki is like, it's, it's like a museum to me, you know, you got to respect where it came from. Just the same way as like Disney movies, you know, like you're not going to look at Disney movies today and be offended. I think that being offended by Tiki is something that is a little misguided. I think that we should learn from where Tiki came from and push it in a better direction these days instead of demonizing it. And I really, and I'm trying to like put all my, I'm trying to put it lightly here and like be as <laughs> appropriate as possible. But, you know, I, I, I am, I'm against the backlash that Tiki has gotten because we should be smart enough to, no right from wrong these days and yeah that's that's my two cents <laughs> on the subject <laughs> i like it i think one of the interesting things about your career is that you both have this like association with tiki but also with classic cocktails mm-hmm. uh where you've worked at you know you've done both and like excelled at both um so especially you know with your current project that gage and tolner being so focused on like making new or iterations or versions of classics right mm-hmm. um 
I'm curious to see how you think of those two different pillars as we were talking about how they compare and contrast with each other for you. How do you approach them similarly, differently? Well, um, it has been pretty interesting over the years uh, learning about the two simultaneously. And it's only recently that I've really kind of given the proper amount of gravity to the fact that I have been trained in both of those schools. Uh, I never thought of myself as like, I'm a classic, I'm a classically trained bartender, but that's what Clover Club did. It's a classic, yeah. it's, it's a classic cocktail bar. And even though uh, so many of the drinks are originals, they're all rooted in classics and you have to know the classics to know what you're doing at Clover Club. And it's only now after I've left Clover Club and I'm like, oh, wow, I got like a full, well-rounded classic cocktail education there while getting tiki and modern classics. And, uh, you know, I learned a little bit of everything there. Uh, but it's definitely been really cool having those two toolboxes to pull from. But I mm -hmm. do keep them very separate uh, because classic tiki cocktails really don't have anything right. to do with classic cocktails. I feel like the classic <laughs> cocktail toolkit is really limited to like, you know, 10 ingredients. You have your, you have your spirits, you have your vermouths and your wine-based liqueurs. You have like curacao, grenadine, bitters, uh, what, gum syrup? Like, well, what else is there? And you're making so many, oh, uh, then you get into like your, uh, uh, your, French ingredients and your liqueurs, your chartreuses and absinthe and that kind of stuff. But it's still just like a small box and you're working within this small box and you have to really stick to it. Otherwise you're not making classic cocktails. So at Gage and Tolner, it's not even twist on classics. It is classics. We're just putting the best version of those forward. Uh, so, you know, things like our martini, uh, we're not doing any frills. It's just the best version of a martini that we know how to make uh, with the best ingredients that we have on hand. Um, when I'm doing tiki though, uh, the toolbox is so much bigger and you can use some classic cocktail uh, leanings in your tiki. Tiki is just like the biggest canvas that you can paint on. You can do anything you want. Uh, you know, as long as you throw an orchid on it, it's a tiki drink. <laughs> I, one of the things I learned from t working Tiki Monday was that, you know, a lot of the times you have to take something that's not thought of as tiki and force it to be tropical and tiki and present it that way in order for it to work. Because we would get the wildest sponsors. We, we, I mean, we threw this party yeah. wholly on sponsorship. So it would be right. things like Johnny Walker and... Singani and you know rums that you had never even heard of uh some rums that aren't you know weren't that great stuff that <laughs> we had to use that we, we had to finagle it and make it delicious and tiki but then how do you make a scotch how do you make three scotch tiki drinks on a menu <laughs> yeah. but you know we figured it out and you just you visit the books and you look at where it came from and you just use your ingenuity and you have fun with it so I don't even know if that answers the question, but I, nope. I think that, that does, it does. yeah, it's, it's really, it's two separate worlds. Uh, and I try to keep them as separate as possible. So I have my classic cocktail persona and my tiki <laughs> persona and they rarely really mix. Yeah. Huh. That's very interesting. I, I think that makes sense. Um, now I, 
my inside info from Zach here is that uh, you uh, have sort of, let's say, perfected 30-plus classic cocktails for Gage of Tolner. Yeah, there's about uh, 35 of them. Wow. Okay, yeah. What was your approach? I think I saw you were doing one of the Tip Your Bartender videos on the Turf Club. Yeah. Um, I'm curious <laughs> as to what your approach is, these like tackling these well-established cocktails and finding, you know, what the best version of them is. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I, uh, <laughs> hmm. So the, the whole process kind of came naturally and I've been on this weird path and trajectory that led me to this place where I know how to R&D a cocktail and make it the best way possible. Uh, and it started at Clover Club with Tom Macy, who is the most mm-hmm. neurotic head bartender I have ever met when it comes to <laughs> testing cocktails. Uh, he will literally sit there and taste the same spec 30 times and do like varying degrees of, uh, you know, is it two dashes of this and one dash of this, or is it three dash of this and one dash of this? He'll make two cocktails uh, and then split the difference by dumping them together and know that (laughs) if he does that, then he knows he has to pre-mix the vermouths and and he has this whole crazy tasting process. So I definitely learned that from him. Uh, But where it really got uh, fine-tuned was with Punch, actually, and Punch uh, started doing those ultimate spirits uh, challenges where they would have a classic cocktail and reach out to a bunch of bartenders to submit a recipe that they would taste blind. So Those are great. They were amazing, uh, and they were really like instrumental to how I got to where I am now, that I, it really boosted my palate. Uh, and the me, Sinjin, and Tom consistently placed in those, and uh, yeah. I won a couple... Uh, Sinjin just wins every time. He's just, (laughs) he just, I don't know where it comes from in his brain, but you ask him a classic cocktail spec and he's like, oh yeah, I have a spec for that. And it's the best version of that drink you've ever had from like either from Pegu or I don't even know where it comes from. He just has the best spec for everything. His Hemingway uh, daiquiri is like incredible. Oh, but mine was the best on punch. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yours was, yes. Yeah, you want that one and the mojito as well? Yeah, mojito. And then I placed yeah. for Irish coffee. Um, yeah. yeah. And I entered in a few others. Uh, but uh, I think I was missing one of the ingredients in your for your Hemingway daiquiri, and that's why I haven't made it. Maybe I don't have, is it like, was it with denizen rum? Maybe? Oh, it was Oni's rum. It was Oni's. Yeah, because right. I, I was, uh, I was working with Oni's. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was uh, assistant distiller at Oni's for a long time, so I just had so much Oni's on hand, and I really truly think that it makes the best Hemingway daiquiri and apparently they thought so too (laughs) but um the the process uh of making those drinks over and over and really fine-tuning classics uh is you know when you have a goal in mind like I want to win this you take that approach that I learned from Tom and you like just streamline it and make it go as fast as possible because I have other stuff to do Mm. So doing that, I just found this process where you kind of have an idea of what the drink is. So, you know, you even, I have a Mr. Boston book that I look at all the time, just to, if there's a cocktail that I don't know by name, I'll look at Mr. Boston just to see the ingredients. 
and then I'll be able to kind of extrapolate what I think would be the best balance for that drink. Then you just start there. And then it's just a lot of guess and check, guess and check, guess and check, guess and check until you have the best version. Then you taste someone on it and they'll have an opinion and they'll give you a note. And then like that one note from a second taster will be the one like, oh, now it's perfect. So just working so, with Sinjin has been, yeah, working with Sinjin on that and doing the process with him has been so great. So my, my follow-up question is when you're doing that initially for punch, were you doing that at home? I mean, I, I've been to your place and seen your bar, like you could, or were you doing that at Clovermore? Uh, it was a mix. Um, I did the Hemingway at home. I actually, I did most of it at home. Uh, the most. That's what I wanted to follow up with. I'm sorry, but yeah, home like, bar stuff. What I no. What I was so impressed with when I came into Gage and Tolner, and you had done so much in like three weeks or whatever it was, was I'm used to when we'd spec a drink at Ford. It was usually like after a staff meeting, whoever wanted to stay around and like taste, you know. 20 different versions of a drink, but we would do it as like a collective palette. And I'm always so impressed by people who can kind of get there on their own without any input from <laughs> anyone else. And I mean, I, I was there sometimes when you were specking a drink and like Sinjin would be in and out of meetings and sometimes you'd go through 10 on your own before yeah. you even presented him one. It's, I, well, I, I find it a superpower that I don't have. Well, I learned that from Brian Miller actually. Um, we would do R&D at his home bar for Tiki Monday and it would always be like, we'd always procrastinate and it would be the day before Tiki Monday where we have to make this menu, print the menu and have it ready by the morning. Uh, and his rule was, you know, make whatever you want, make the best version of what you can, but don't present it to the group until you think that it's worthy of the group's consideration. So that's just where that habit came in play, where I would make five versions of a drink before I even tasted them on it. And then it gives you a, a place to go back to. So they'll be like, what, what would happen all the time is the fifth one would be pretty good, but they'd be like, oh, what did you do in those last ones? I saw you put honey in, in the first one. Why'd you take out the honey kind of thing? Mm. Uh, so it just gives you a kind of a, a progression to work with that when you present one that you think is the best and then it gets shat on <laughs> it's that's really you're starting from a really higher point than just having an idea and then trying it you've got to, you've got to do the personal work first so that's what i was doing at gauge i was uh making you know five six martinis and then when i thought like okay i'm on to something then i would go interrupt engine and taste him on it and get his opinion but yeah, I, it's really just, uh, I'm really critical on myself when it comes to finally presenting something. And especially working for Julie too. Like hell, I would present drinks to Julie and she would just, I mean, the best, at best we'd be like, eh, meh. But sometimes she'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> tried so hard. Uh, that, I, yeah, I, I think mean, it's I, really, yeah, God. Uh, I was just going to say, I can, you know, we haven't really talked even about what Gage and Tolner is, and maybe we should do that for a second, but oh yeah, I can attest for that one week we were like soft open, you know, some pretty big names 
came through definitely a lot of them would come up to us and be like that was the best version of a pink lady i've ever had or that was one of the best manhattans i've ever had if not the best i mean i it was so it was so amazing being there for soft opening with you guys and just being able to put those drinks out finally Uh, because i was there for 40 days straight uh (laughs) from first thing in the morning to later at night and you know finally seeing those drinks go out and hearing people be happy about it was amazing yeah so yeah i know it's the hard hard work pays off you know if you think you're onto something with a cocktail just do it over and over and over and be surrounded by good people i mean zach having you behind that bar (laughs) to taste drinks off i mean you're always right Whenever I like, I'm second guessing myself about something. Whenever I ask you, you have like just the correct opinion. It's your superpower for sure. <laughs> I appreciate that. And if you don't I know, can, you just I say can... I don't know, and it's great. It's just so great <laughs> having you around and having Sinjin to bounce ideas off of, and Steven. It's just like everyone in that yeah. place is just so top notch. I can yeah. second that sentiment about Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think Zach, you're right. We should probably explain what Gage and Tolner is. Jelani, would you like to explain to the the audience? Yeah, so Gage and Tolner is this classic Brooklyn chop house. Uh, Originally, it opened in 1892. uh, And it was, it it still is kind of the only, the only one of its ilk that like, you don't really see uh, that kind of chop house or steakhouse in Brooklyn. You see it mostly in Manhattan, like Midtown. Mm-hmm. But it's this just gorgeous, sprawling uh, dining room. Uh, and originally, it was a um, kind of thing where the bar wasn't there. And it was just a restaurant. And you would walk in and you would order uh, your steaks that were hanging where the bar is now. And they'd you know give you your steak, bring it back to the kitchen, cook it up for you. Uh, throughout its history, it's, gone, it's passed hands a bunch of times. I'm giving like the short history here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's past hands a bunch of times gone through a lot of iterations uh, but kind of the golden era of it was when they were really focusing on just simple food done well uh, and they always had really amazing a really ma- amazing list of classic cocktails that were kind of ahead of its time you see like a 1920s menu uh, with Sazeracs and daiquiris and um, 20-30 drinks on there uh, nice. and it was really for just like a nickel yeah, for like a nickel, it'd be like, uh, <laughs> you know, actually, give me a second. I have a, I have a menu that I can show you real quick. So this is the menu for Gage and Tolner's, Pink Lady, Gimlet, Gibson, like sixty cents, yeah. <laughs> ten to a dollar twenty. Brooklyn, ninety cents. It's one of one of the podcast favorite cocktails there. And that's a that's a huge cocktail list for this restaurant. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I said. Uh, 1892 uh, the original was established in 1879 where it was like an oyster bar yeah um ah. but yeah we're it's been closed for the past 15 years and um <laughs> we are reopening it as gage and tolner because it's a uh, landmarked exterior and interior um so after a dark time of it being an arby's and a tgi friday's we're reimagining like a it. Nail salon or and something? a nail salon. Well, it was a while. It was like a nail salon slash tattoo parlor slash like kind right. of gypsy Real. market. 
and like a grill. Oh uh, yeah, the grill where, like, store grill where you could get a grill. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, but the interior is landmarked, so it's all still there. The original uh, upholstery and everything. So we're we refurbished it, and we're bringing it back as the modern iteration of this classic steakhouse. And That's awesome. I'm super excited for it. <laughs> and and I mean, we might talk about it a little bit more, but it was set to open the day that the shutdown orders came. Yeah, the fifteenth. <laughs> Jeez. So. Uh, well, before we get into uh, coronavirus, um, <laughs> I am curious, is there, uh, like for our listeners who might be bartenders or like aspiring bartenders um, and want to learn how to like perfect a classic, could you take us through like your process for like a specific cocktail on the Gage and Toner menu? Like how you, where you went from like nothing to like, here's the best version. Well, there's so many factors that go into it when you're designing a drink for mm -hmm. a place. What really, what I try to do at Gage and Tolner was make it feel like the right drink for the right place. Like if you're walking into a steakhouse, well, A, you're not going to really get a good cocktail at a steakhouse, but yeah. <laughs> uh, think about the cocktail that you're getting there. You're getting, let's, let's say Manhattan is the perfect example. You're getting this Manhattan that's, that they're not going to use a jigger. They're going to shake it and it's going to be fine. They're going to put a neon cherry on it. It's going to be, it's going to be like four roses and martini shaken with a cherry. And that is what you're getting. It's going to be light. It's going to be, you know, super juicy, probably huge. Uh, yeah. And I wanted that Manhattan because there's so many different Manhattans you can do. You can do the rye Manhattan. You can do the bourbon Manhattan. You can do a lighter one, a heavier one. You can do one with some spice. But I was thinking, I want to do one that is the best version of that shitty Manhattan. Mm. So I wanted it to be light and juicy and fruity. Uh, so we wound up doing a split, oh, but still a, uh, appeal to a modern palate and somebody who likes good things. So yeah. at first I was thinking we would do bourbon. And uh, I tried it with four roses. And I just did classic spec two, uh, two, one, two. Uh, yeah. And I took that template and just tried it with a bunch of different bourbons. And first I tried it with uh, Four Roses and I tried it with Woodford and bourbon just wasn't working. And we wanted some of that rye spice. So then we started blending some rye into it. So then we did one bourbon, one rye. And that was like, okay, that's a little better. And then uh, we're like, ah, fuck it, let's just do all rye. So we tried just Rittenhouse 212 Manhattan, and we're like, okay, that, that's the best Manhattan, but it's a little too heavy, a little too rich for what we're going for. So then we wound up splitting the base between uh, Rittenhouse and Old Overholt, which is only 40, uh, 40 ABV. Um, and that brought it, gave it this really nice, nice light kind of booze texture. And then we split the base of vermouth as well between uh, Antica and Coqui Torino. And Coqui Torino is like really not that bitter. Uh, right. So it gave it that like nice kind of juiciness. And then we also split the bitters blend <laughs> between uh, it's this really awesome bitters that Bitter Truth makes. It's uh, Bogart's bitters, uh, which is supposed to be their original, their version of the original Manhattan bitters. So we split that in Angostura 
and it was just dynamite and it was so delicious and it did everything we wanted it to but you have to have a frame of reference of what you're going you have to have a goal yeah. what do you want this drink to be and especially with a classic uh there's so many ways you can go even though it's subtle and there's nuance uh you know taste each in individual ingredient you have to know why you're using one vermouth over the other you have to know why you're using uh you know a london dry gin over a distilled gin or a new world gin um so yeah just have a goal and keep guessing and checking I, it's funny that you, I'm glad you picked that one because when we did our Manhattan episode, <laughs> I said it was my favorite Manhattan, but I wasn't sure if I was allowed to reveal the spec. So I, <laughs> I was vague about what it was. You can reveal any of my specs. It's such a good, it's such a good Manhattan. I, I literally bought, I put in an order from Aster recently and I bought some Bogart's bitters because of that. It's so good. It's just an amazing product. Uh, I'm very excited to have that Manhattan uh, sometime soon at Gage and Tolner. Yeah. Well, I think uh, Zach mentioned uh, coronavirus, and you mentioned how the first day of uh, opening was the, or what was scheduled to be the first day of like the full open was the uh, day that the shutdown occurred. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? You know, working at the restaurant just as this stuff is all starting to happen, and then right when you're supposed to full open, everything gets shut down. It was pretty surreal. Um, I got to say that uh, I was really kind of skeptical about the whole coronavirus thing as it was coming, just because I had my head down in the sand for, like I said, I was there for 40 days straight just working. I wasn't really keeping up on the news or, you know, I wasn't in contact with anyone. I was just going to work and going home. So I was hearing you know, whispers of coronavirus coming to the States. But the only news I had heard was that cruise ship that had come and, you know, how they mishandled getting them back. Um, And I was like, all right, so it's going to be in California. Like maybe coronavirus will make its way across the country, you know, but I've got work to do. So we did soft opening and we were packed. The place was just so busy all week. And it felt like, Gage and Toner was just this little oasis where, you know, nothing was really touching us. We were just doing this really awesome work and everyone was so excited and we had these huge crowds come in and some of the conversation was around the virus, but nobody, it wasn't preoccupying anyone's time. So it was just so surreal how the, the scripts just flipped from one day to the next. We did soft opening uh, day like three and it was spectacular. And then the next day we went in and uh, we had a bunch of cancellations. And um, mm-hmm. we're like, all right, like that's, that's disheartening, but you know, the virus is, is here and you know, people are probably worried. Uh, and then the next thing you know, uh, a couple of our staff are saying they feel sick. Steven feels sick. He's working the service bar. So I relieve him. Uh, I pack up all his stuff. I'm like, oh man, like this is, really for real now i'm like touching sick steven's stuff am i gonna get coronavirus it turns out he just like wore himself down and had like a cold because he was there every day as well and it was just like wearing us down um but it was just immediately there and real and then we were scheduled to open the next day 
or in, in two days. So the next day we decided that we weren't going to open for soft opening the last day of soft opening. And then the day after that, we weren't going to open at all. And it was just this it, inside it actually, it was like a, a merry kind of day because we were all there. We were like all patting each other on the back for this good work we had been doing. We were bailing out the freezers and the walk-ins to get all the, all the food out so we can close. And we had a nice big family meal. It was this just like really familial, awesome day of seeing everyone. But it was the last day that I got to see everyone uh, because yeah, the, day, the 15th uh, was the day that we were supposed to open and we just didn't. Wow. So yeah, since then it's been really hard because uh, it just feels like this big thing is on hold mm-hmm. until further notice. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, the, the more and more it's sank in, I'm like, oh man, Gage and Tolner is like, it's a tragedy that it happened like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's better to postpone the opening than open all the way and then have to shut it all down. Yeah, and go yeah. under. So it's a good thing that it's in stasis and not anything else. Totally. Yeah. So how did you get into uh, into the flat iron uh, delivery game? That was through <laughs> Sinjin. From there, okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, so at first, I was going to be doing uh, food delivery for Fort Defiance, and I did that one shift where I saw you come through, mm-hmm. um, and then. Fort Defiance closed too. <laughs> uh, so I was out of a job and Sinjin's just like the greatest Papa Bear of all time. He's like wants to make sure that all his people are taken care of. Yeah. So uh, he reached out to me and uh, he told me that his friend at this liquor store was looking for work because they liquor stores are just doing tremendous business now. Their takeout and delivery from liquor stores is just nuts because everyone's drinking at home. Yeah. Uh, so they needed help and and I was like, all right, I went in and they, on day one, they're like, we need you this many days a week. And told me a schedule. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So I've just been doing it ever since. Are people, I'm curious, are people tipping you on top of like your <laughs> wage or people? Yeah, they curious? are. Like what's, that's great. Yeah. It's been really nice. Uh, everyone's tipping really well. Uh, it's, Oh, I mean, I, I am like, I'm biking around a 30 pound box of booze. Uh, so like, you know, they'll, they'll palm me a, they'll palm me a 20 and I can only imagine how much they're spending on the case itself. Uh, right. But still like, you know, getting palmed a $20 bill at the door is awesome if it happens a few times a day. Cause that's on top of just like an hourly rate. Um, so yeah, it's Plus you're getting your exercise. Exactly. <laughs> exercise and sun. Yeah. It's good on those days, but then on the days that it felt like it rained every day last month. Oh, and yeah, it was just demoralizing for a couple of weeks, just like having a bike over the bridge <laughs> through the rain, getting there, seeing a pile <laughs> oh. of boxes that you have to take around the city, and then going back out in the rain. <laughs> oh. That's why you've been drinking all that scotch. Yeah. <laughs> get, <laughs> get home all waterlogged and I need it. What do you see as. Uh, for the future of the bartending uh, and restaurant industry? Um, I think that it's going to be a slow build back to where we were. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a couple things that 
we need to, a couple of checkpoints that we need to meet before we're back there. People need to feel comfortable about coming in. Well, I mean, first checkpoint is we have to make sure that we have the virus under control, obviously. Yeah. So we're just waiting until the government tells us that we can reopen and to whatever capacity they say. But then even then, uh, I know there's a lot of people that are very afraid of going out at all. Uh, so we're going to need to, as a society, <laughs> feel comfortable about going back to bars too. And that's going to be a while. Uh, but I think we're going to get back there. And I think that getting back there is going to be interesting and kind of fun because our local, I mean, in New York, at least our local governments have been, uh, I think doing a pretty good job of listening to what our needs are and being kind of lenient on places that are doing like curbside pickup or, uh, delivery and kind of, I, biking around the sea, I see places doing all sorts of really interesting stuff, uh, outside their windows and they're talking about doing outside seating, uh, closing mm -hmm. down streets for, uh, table seating on sidewalks. So we'll, we'll see what goes on. But I, I think that the future is going to be bright ahead for us because when this is truly over, uh, the, the world is going to sell I mean, the United States is going to celebrate because we got yeah. through this, you know, regardless of the fact that our, the fed just completely and utterly shat the bed, uh, right. that, you know, and all of our little local circles, everyone's going to be partying like crazy. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be back. I think that it's going to be back and better than ever. It's just what a matter of time. Sense? What is your sense on, I'm just curious, uh, do you think like to go cocktails are a thing that's here to stay now? I think that in the interim they are. And until people feel better about going out. Uh, I think that once we're back though, to go cocktails is going to dry up because right now, uh, and it's, it's kind of the sense right now that everyone's getting away with kind of like a new Orleans style thing with open container mm, right. stuff. Everyone's out in the street drinking. And I don't see the government changing those laws. I know. That's kind of how, where I'm at, too. I think once you open that Pandora's box, it's hard to... You can't put it back. Off. Yeah, you can't yeah. put it back. And New York is not <laughs> a place where you can have open container be a thing. Because, I mean, people are just going to be... Well, people are already going crazy in the street. But yeah. I, don't, I don't see New York City as a place where open container laws not being a thing could be a thing. Um, but I think that the to-go cocktails, it's definitely going to be a huge part of rebuilding the industry, of keeping places afloat uh, in this interim. But I think that once we see the demand for it dry up is a good indication for how the industry is going to be doing. Because uh, yeah. Yeah. we want people to be coming out and staying at the bars. We don't, we don't want to be doing to-go orders forever as business people. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like to go is fine as a way to like make it through this time period. Yeah. Um, but it's not the full experience, right? You it's want not. people in the bar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll get back there though. But for now though, I'm, I'm like blown away by how awesome people are doing with their takeout and delivery and their to go cocktails. I've seen some really awesome, like imaginative stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, I'm curious about is sort of asking uh, people who work at bars and stuff, what do they need now in this time? Um, a lot mm. of bartenders are unemployed or 
uh, you know, bars are shut down. What is it like in your personal experience? What would you like uh, or for people you know? Well, uh, it's hard to say. Like, I, I wish I knew and could speak more to the, the bigger aspect of bar ownership. Yeah. Because those are the people that really need things. <laughs> uh, as a bartender, personally, I, I feel like I'm, I don't need for anything right now. Um, but if the local governments can, I think that what we need is good legislation in place and good practices. And I need the mayor and the governor to listen to us and listen to our needs and, you know, work with people that are, that are bar owners that have Mm -hmm. ideas of how they see this going forward. I think they've been doing a great job so far. Uh, but there are so many roadblocks in terms of legislation. Like if we're going to get, think about how many places are going to close through this. Uh, already we've heard about, you know, Pegu club is not going to reopen. How many, every first of the month, there's going to be another wave of bars that are saying that we're not going to reopen our doors and we need our local governments to help take care of these businesses that are just they're on a thread. They're hanging on by a thread. And if people have ideas for how to make their restaurant work through this, you got to let them do it. You have to give us freedom. You have to give us kind of autonomy to, to work within our means. I mean, we're not going to go break the law, hopefully. But like the, you know, I'm sure you know this, but outside seating in New York city is something that's actually very difficult to very difficult. Yeah. So yeah. there's been talks about bars wanting to do that. Yeah. And I think that what we need uh, is for people in power to make that easier for it to happen, not make it harder. Because uh, it's already hard. So really, I think all we need is for help from above. Not, not, I mean, not, <laughs> not heavenly above, but we, I guess we need that too. But yeah, help from higher, higher people in power. Yeah, and these these bars and restaurants are what make living in this city, you know, special, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah, I mean, why why else would you come to New York? You're not going to come here for, you know, the the quality of the beach water. You're coming for <laughs> right. bars and restaurants, bars yeah. and restaurants and entertainment. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's special about the city. Um, it's actually the only thing that makes living here palatable, let alone uh, agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one, one more, one last serious question before we get to uh, the fun stuff, which I think Conrad has some questions for us. Uh, um, but one thing I was curious about, like personally as a, as a person of color who first would just frequent bars, uh, cocktail bars, and then, you know, start to work at one. Um it's an industry that's so heavily associated with like, you know, cis white males. Um, and so I was really curious about how your experience as, as a person of color was uh, in the bar industry, you know, in that respect. Hmm. Um, Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my experience has been, it's, it's been great, honestly. Uh, and that's just my personal experience. I've definitely, you know, I am a person of color. I'm just a black guy, but 
I definitely, I mean, the way I'm from Park Slope, I was raised in a solidly middle class family. And my hobbies are things that, you know, mostly, you know, kind of white people are into. I like <laughs> craft cocktails and, you know, I like fancy shit. But I, I feel like for the vast majority of people of color, and, you know, it, um, I was going to try to avoid to bring it here, but I'm just going to bring it there. there. The reason you don't see people of color in bars as much is because of just systematic racism. They're yeah. made to be held in in lower class, you know, po- held at the poverty poverty line without given opportunities to do things like, you know, go to fancy bars. It's prohibitive. So I feel very proud and lucky and blessed to be in the position that I'm in where I've been able to carve myself out this little uh this little corner of the industry where I'm excelling and I'm doing well because you know it's important to see people like me in this industry uh and I wish that we'd see more of it but it goes down to it comes down to just deep deep rooted systematic racism in our economy and in our country uh yeah so i I recognize that and i feel that and i'm always trying to uh yeah i i respect the position that i'm in yeah i mean even like even just on a representational aspect like one of the reasons i got into cocktails is because I would go to Little Branch, uh, and one of the bartenders was brown. He was yeah. Dominican, and I'm Cuban. And it was like, oh shit! Yeah, Otherwise, totally. it was just white people. And I was like, oh okay, this is. And it's just the way it's kind of broken out because you, usually you see you see those people in the kitchen, and they're you know the right. dishwashers and the porters, and I, I know that a lot of it, uh, in that sense, is like a language barrier that you want the forward-facing staff to be, you know from here uh but at the same time like how many people there's a there's a lot of opportunity for people to be bartenders and it's not that hard of a job it's not the this highly you know specialized position you could train anybody to do this and i think that you should have more opportunities for people of all creeds and races and genders able to do a lot of it it seems like in your trajectory yeah. has been about like your desire to self-educate and i feel like there is an mm-hmm. element of training to it in bars but a lot of it is also having the means and resources to have expendable income to go out and buy products and and that's kind of what you're getting at right it's yeah. like you kind of already have to be in that exactly yep. yeah it's an opportunity it's an opportunity thing yeah i was given the opportunity to self-educate and get to where I am now, whereas most people of color are not given that opportunity at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, I had the disposable income to like be able to go to these bars and Mm -hmm. like have the drinks and be like, oh shit, this is really good. Yeah. What's going on here? Like, and that's a $15 drink. That's $15. That's, that's the money that, you know, people need to feed their entire family for, two days like it's yeah i i think that all of the problems in america come down to money and hopefully on the other side of this virus we'll be able to 
kind of tackle some of those. My this is a total little side note to tack on there, but my partner's brother is an economist, and he is like, <laughs> I was talking to him the other day, okay. and he he basically was like, what this virus is really shown is like in the horror movie, when the person's like, the phone calls coming from inside the apartment. <laughs> It's like this recognition of like, oh, this is being <laughs> so bad because the system was already so bad to begin with. It's like originating from within the, the structure mm. that like right. it's falling apart so rapidly because we already had such great income disparity. I thought I just thought that was a hilarious mm. yeah. <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> yeah. That's such a really good that's an awesome analogy. All right. Let's yeah. have some fun. Not that this hasn't been fun. Uh. <laughs> fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I was gonna yeah, say finally. God. No <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for me at least, part of the reason that that I I wanted this, well, chose this industry to 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 make my living in, uh, is because bars are meant to be fun, right? At the at the bottom level, bars, restaurants, they're for fun. They're about entertainment. Um. So, like, yeah, that's. For me, that it's that. But uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in one of the bars you were working at? I <laughs> I struggle with this question <laughs> because what defining defining weird because so many weird things have oh, happened. Oh, totally. I mean, I you're always asked this question as a bartender. Like people think that the craziest shit happens to the bar. And it does. I mean, I guess I might just be desensitized to it at this point. Um. <laughs> One of the weirdest things I, I I always think about Tiki Monday when I think of weird stuff, because uh, it was totally a weird party. There, were, especially for somebody walking into a bar that didn't know it was Tiki Monday, there's a bunch of dudes <laughs> in sarongs and dressed up in war paint, serving tiki <laughs> drinks, and like it's so packed that you can't get a drink, and yet everyone's having fun. And you're like, what the hell's going on? But. I was thinking about uh, Gaz Regan today, and uh, there was one Tiki Monday that uh, we had him on um, to. He had a Negroni station where he was exclusively <laughs> making Negronis with his finger, and it was so. It was it was weird for sure. It was a weird call, <laughs> but um, it was even weirder because, he, well, I mean we all we all know what Gary Regan looks like. He, he's an he was an old, he was an old dude. <laughs> he was this old dude stirring Negronis with his finger. And this shirt was like, instead of being like a tiki shirt, it was a short sleeve button down. But the pattern was like, <laughs> it looked like, like shitty internet quality uh, pictures of sexy chicks. <laughs> <laughs> like almost as if he like cut and pasted the <laughs> screenshots from like porn and just like had a shirt on that so he was in the corner stirring negronis with his finger and oh, it just man. so happened that like the first wave of people we got had no it was just like like i said people walk in they had no idea it's tiki monday so they walked into pouring ribbons and like the vast majority of people that were there were greeted by this old man in a porn shirt stirring negronis with his fingers like licking his fingers in between and uh, <laughs> it oh, was man. so fucking funny with people's reactions to this. And we were just having the best time. We were like, <laughs> oh my God, we got Gary Regan stirring the grudies. 
Uh, but it was just that, that was a pretty that was a pretty weird <laughs> moment, and I really oh, I thought fondly on that. People will be familiar with this game, and we're gonna try it out and see how well it works. But we thought it would be fun to do uh, a version of Fuck Mary Kill, but with cocktails and call it Drinks Are Spill. Mm-hmm. So. Drink is equivalent to fuck. Okay. Serve is equivalent to marry, and spill is equivalent to kill. And uh, since we've, okay, I love it. I love this game, by the way. This is like so one of my since favorite we've games. Been talking a lot about tiki. We thought we'd present you with some tiki ones, and I believe we decided on a mai tai, Ooh. zombie, and a tea punch. <laughs> oh man. and i i happening to know you I guess <laughs> a good one okay all right well i'm definitely okay i'm serving the zombie because uh it's almost like the the cheating on a desert island thing like what do you bring like i bring my house because the zombie you can do it so many so many different ways so mm. the zombie in itself is kind of like you can do so many different zombies. I, yeah, I, I love that drink so much. That's a serve for sure. Mm, drink. God, I, I got to drink the Mai Tai. Ooh, I know, I know. That's why I picked but you're the tea gonna punch. Make me too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. All right. <laughs> I mean, in an alternate reality, I would definitely, I would spill the Mai Tai, but like, you can't, Mai Tai is, it's a Mai Tai. (laughs) I think I'm fucking, or I'm drinking the tea punch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're fucking the tea punch? (laughs) Uh, I think I'm drinking the tea punch. I think I'm I'm serving the zombie as well. I think I'm spilling the Mai Tai. No, I love the Mai Tai. The the best version of Fuck Mary Kill are like three equally good choices for all. Yeah, totally. Conrad? Um, Yeah. I think I'm probably drinking the Mai Tai. Nice. Like, I think that's... Hell yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I can't not. Like, that... To me, that's that's the drink that says summer. Like, that's what I want the second the weather turns. Like, it's, it's such an important drink for me and, and for the way that, that, like, I see the year in terms of seasonal drinking. Like, okay, the sun is, the sun is out. Like, I want to be on a boat or near water, and I want to be drinking my nuts. I think I... I think I... Yeah, I think I, I drink... Really? I think I drink the zombie. I just, Ooh. yeah, I'm just going to be selfish. Serve the Mai Tai? Yeah, I think I'm going to serve the Mai Tai. I think that's a little bit more of a crowd pleaser, you know? It is, it is. And the zombie, I just want to eat more for myself, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> tough. I guess, man. Yeah, it's tough. I love that drink, too. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> it should come no, as no surprise but the best tea punch i've had actually jelani and i believe tom came up with together right that tea punch is so good Ugh. yeah the the privateer punch so it was a um 
uh, I mean, it was a tea botch, but we made it with, um, we call it the privateer punch. And instead of the classic serve, we did it with a lime cordial. Uh, so it's essentially like an agricole, so, a stirred yeah. agricole gimlet. Yeah. It was yeah. so simple too. It was just two ounces of rum JM and a half ounce of the lime cordial. Just yeah. serve on a big rock. And it was so good. Yeah, I want that now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go make some lime cordial after this recording. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's easy enough to make. Right, yeah, it's not too bad. Um, so what are, what are some of your favorite non-industry uh, hobbies? Or passions. Um, well, I love biking. Uh, I love. I'm trying to come up with things I don't. It's Magic the Gathering. Uh, I love <laughs> playing Magic the Gathering so much, as Zach knows. Um, I'm just a big old nerd. Uh, tabletop gaming is my is my passion. Um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is amazing. Uh, Magic is amazing. Uh, Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, Splendor, Puerto Rico, all all those board games. I I love board games. Am I I the only one here that plays none of those? (laughs) You gotta do yourself a favor and go get a box of Settlers of Catan. It'll enrich your life. I, uh, I've I've been having the last couple of weeks have been good for me personally because Bundesliga has been back, uh, and I never I've I've always I, I lived in England for sixteen years I've always been a huge fan of Premier League soccer, um, but uh, it's it's been nice I've watched like two games today I was watching a game before we did this uh, call and being able to watch sports again, that's been kind of amazing, even if it is super weird watching uh, an empty crowd like an empty stadium that usually seats 40,000 people just empty. That's that's super weird. Yeah. Did you see there was uh, a club in yeah. I think it was in Korea was that had like sex Actually, dolls in the stadium. Oh my God. This is a great this just is to a make great, it look uh, for related thing as yeah. well. There's a restaurant in DC that I think is uh they have a couple of Michelin stars and they've taken mannequins from like the 30s and 40s and 50s and put them in the seats yes. to make sure the social distancing is happening. And it looks. What? <laughs> that must yeah. be super creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sports being gone really hasn't affected me at all. I'm like not <laughs> really into sports, but Zach, how, uh, how has not uh, being able to talk about sports and keep up on all your weird. games affected you? It's been weird. I've actually feel like I've been playing less magic, obviously in person, but also online. And, uh, you know, just trying mm-hmm. to take up some other things, such as like working on this podcast and doing a lot more cooking. Uh, for me, as a sports fan, this is kind of the dead time of year. So I'm, I'm more. I mean, basketball season oh, okay. will be kind of like wrapping up around now. But yeah, other playoffs, than basketball, yeah. uh, I'm a big football fan, and then I only, I actually really love watching true football. Uh, Conrad's football, but uh, I limit myself to the Euro and World Cup and Copa Americana, and that's kind of like all I all I can take because the the games just matter so much. It's kind of like I'm that way with baseball too, where it's like I love watching the playoffs, but the hundred and seventy five thousand games leading up to the playoffs, I'm just kind of like 
I don't really care, and it doesn't seem like the players care. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. Just going through the motions. <laughs> we're not obviously. Yeah, we were that, planning on that, having. We were going to have a Euros sure, this year, so that's like, oh, that's, I'm that's have hurting. Free time to watch and like now, especially now for like a uh, for a bartender like the World Cup uh, two two years ago. I can watch it on my phone now. So I could watch all of the games on my way to work, know exactly what happened, be able to talk with people who might be interested instead of hear from them. Like, Oh man, you should have seen this crazy goal Germany scored with 10 seconds left. I was like outside of middle branches glued to my phone. Like, okay, I've got like two more minutes before I have to be inside. (laughs) Oh my God. I kind of like how, uh, during, during the Euros and the world cup, you can get away with some of the, 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 some of the worst bartending you'll ever do. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, when uh, at the World Cup, when England were having a penalty shootout, someone came to the bar and I looked and I was like, I'm not serving you till this is done. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, England don't win penalty shootouts. They haven't in my lifetime. Like, I have to see this. This is more important. Like, the, this, the, it's more important yeah. than the job right now. Like, in, in, in next, next week, we'll be fine. But for, give me, like, two minutes and... and and what's funny is it's kind of like every time is that people not only like get that, they're also super into it. I, one of the things I always find funny about pretty much every bar I've ever been, been at is like what, even if the, there's like a bunch of people waiting to be served, if you have like a group of like shots for you and your coworkers set up, pretty much customers are like no take your shots first then they get around right. to it that um, mutual respect I, I like that i think yeah. yeah i think that's hilarious and, it, and it's the same thing when um major like football is on people are like all right we can chill for a little bit and watch the game and then we'll get back to it and i love that yeah i can yeah. i can wait for you to have i want to see you have this moment <laughs> yeah did they make like, the penalty kick yeah, yeah. um okay, yeah <laughs> And then they needed to give you another like, five minutes to do a victory <laughs> lap. Yeah. Yes. Shots for everyone. It's like one of my biggest shortcomings of like being a bartender, or like one of my like biggest life shortcomings. Is like I don't, I'm not into sports. It's so <laughs> awkward sometimes when like somebody will walk in and like, oh, what would you think about the game today? I'm like, uh, I'm just gonna. <laughs> politely go walk away now <laughs> that is i just don't know anything i'm like <laughs> I'm in all this weird niche shit it's i you know it's funny though is like even being even being into sports like pretty heavily my most of my life like hockey is just a sport mm-hmm. i know nothing, yeah, I know about. nothing about and inevitably i'll get the bar customer who loves sports and and you know i can name off like hall of famers that are on their favorite football team or whatever from the 80s and all these different things and then they'll switch to hockey Nothing. and i'm just like um i think it's time <laughs> yeah, to take exactly like, <laughs> really that, sorry that wayne gretzky that. sure was good wasn't he <laughs> yeah the way he could hit that puck I like the way he hit... <laughs> yeah the, the way he could hit that volleyball was just amazing <laughs> um all right before before much else we're about, I think, at time. Johnny, where can people find you on social media and behind the bar if they want to see your smiling face with the delivery? Uh, so, my well, if you want to order any wine, uh, order from Flatiron Wines, and I'll probably deliver it to your door if you're in Midtown. Um, 
<laughs> Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Jelani J11. That's J E L A N I J11. Um, and uh, I, I really haven't been on Facebook at all. I have a Facebook. You can find me on there, but I haven't looked at it in forever because it's just <laughs> such a hole of misinformation and just gross shit. <laughs> um, yeah, get at me. Uh, you can find me at Gage and Tolner once we're reopened, for yeah. sure, because I'll probably be there every day. And I uh, can't wait to see you there. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was a blast. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, this has been so much fun. Pippin' on the assist I'm watching Jordan drop a double nickel on the Knicks That was 95, couple of us ain't lit in 96 Game banging, can't slangin' Headers caught up in the twist We was middle school fools Life was rushing past me Fresh on Tyler's the bus Fightin' up in Pulaski Uncle hit me off with the zip Now I got some cash You won't wait, you get some money for Nikes My mama asked me Uh, I gotta sell a nickel bags Stress weed, million seeds, where the liquor at? Mad Dog 23